This podcast is brought to you by the Village of Bedford Park, your home for business. Over 450 businesses strong and growing with a safe, reliable Lake Michigan water supply. Visit VOBPBiz.com and bring your business home to the Village of Bedford Park. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Now, the WBBM Noon Business Hour. It's 12.03, Friday afternoon, Cinco de Mayo, May 5th. Good afternoon. Thanks for joining us on the Noon Business Hour. I'm Rob Hart. Portillo's, which has been expanding quickly since going public a few years ago, is eyeing new markets. We'll cover that in our next segment. But right now, today's government jobs report shows robust growth. People currently seeking employment are now dealing with another hiring factor, and that is artificial intelligence. Let's discuss the impact with Rick Cobb, founder of the workplace consulting firm To Discern, based in Chicago. Rick, thank you for joining us today. And before we start uh, weaving some nightmarish dystopian scenarios about uh, robots hiring and firing uh, human workers, we'll, we'll, we'll get to that in a couple of minutes. Uh, let's just you know, talk about the basics of AI. It allows companies and people and entities to process their data that much faster, and that also includes their decision to uh, either hire people or to crunch the numbers and decide it's time to let them go. Sure. I think that both of those are true. You know, if you think about when people started to worry about e-commerce changing the world, uh, for about eight years, there was a lot of fear, but not a lot of action. Then all of a sudden, everything flipped. And, and now, you know, everybody buys stuff online and it's hard to maintain a store open otherwise. And I think we're really at the tipping point for the entire employment process on both sides. And it's going to, there's no way anybody can predict exactly what's going to happen. And there's there's a little bit of AI or uh, uh, machine learning involved in the hiring process as it is. I think everybody has experience filling out an online job application. And uh, the advice that uh, I received when I was looking eight years ago was make sure your resume and your cover letter contains all sorts of key words the algorithm will be looking for. So we're kind of used to this process already. Well, the keyword search has been around. uh, There's a major company in Chicago that was doing keyword searches on software 12 years ago. So that's not necessarily new. But what we've got now is AI, when we talk about the software, artificial intelligence and the algorithms, they actually can interact with you. So, you know, two years ago, there were several companies that began to produce a a facade that presented itself and would say, hi, my name is Rick. I'm an AI. I represent such and such. And they will actually what they call scrape. And scraping is when you go out to all of the sources of opportunity for people who have the kind of background you're looking for, whether it's social media or fraternities, sororities, et cetera, and reach out to you directly, letting you know they're a robot. But, hey, are you interested in this job? Now, I am not, uh, I have to confess, I'm not the best networker in the whole wide world, and that uh, in my uh, social media buffet, uh, LinkedIn is the one that gets the least attention, but uh, maybe this is a, a sign that uh, I, should, I should look at it a little more often. 
the the problem with looking for work in these sources is they are designed and constructed 80% of it for the benefit of the employer. So it's a great way to get a lot of potential candidates, but the final hiring process is not going to be done by AI, and you're not going to get a job very often that way unless you have this incredible background that everybody wants you for, and therefore it doesn't matter how they reach you. And then very quickly, uh, how will the AI be used to determine when it's time to uh, let somebody go? They're doing it already. You know, a lot of the data that companies look for in terms of productivity, and particularly if you're a publicly traded company, is, you know, are these people meeting their numbers? Are they where they need to be? Uh, What does it cost to keep them? What is our expected risks in terms of where our business is going? And if we're going to collapse, typically the top of the house is is the place where you can get the most money with the fewest number of cuts. Uh, Certainly if you're a technology business, that's been proven to be upside down in a lot of ways. I think the thing that's really interesting, we do have a chance, and I know this is a little bit off topic, but we have the chance as as in potential employees, though, to fight AI by using chat GPT. So you could actually say, I'm interested in working for ABC company, and uh, will you please write a resume or an introductory letter that, that presents me as a good candidate for that company? So you got two robots fighting it out, and you can go play golf. <laughs> well, what, what a pleasant scenario, especially on a very nice day like today. Rick yeah, Cobb. My robot fa- hired your robot. <laughs> and then we'll do lunch. Rick Cobb, founder of the workplace consulting firm To Discern, based in Chicago. Thank you for joining us today. Coming up, locally based Portillo's looking to expand its global footprint. A deposit for your future. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Suburban based Portillo's, which traces its humble roots to a single trailer in Villa Park, continues its rapid expansion. Let's get the latest from Ali Marathi, restaurants and retail reporter, Crane Chicago Business. Ali, thank you for joining us today. Uh, first Chicago, tomorrow the world seems to be the business plan for Portillo's. Yeah, that's what it sounds like. You know, the CEO told analysts on an earnings call this week that um, they were looking at their total adjustable market, which means more expansion of their normal standard format stores, more pickup only locations, non-traditional venues like airports, and then potential potential international franchises. Now, if you are a Chicago native or grew up in the Chicago area or have spent enough time here to develop an appreciation for an Italian beef or a Chicago-style hot dog, uh, you know when it's done right and you know when uh, it misses the mark. Now, has Pertillo's learned through its expansion thus far that uh, once you set up shop in, say, in Arizona, that uh, Arizonans will uh, flock to Chicago-style beef sandwiches and hot dogs? That's what it sounds like. And you're right, that was a concern as they started to expand outside of the Chicago area. But, you know, they've got this new store in Texas that the CEO loves to talk about. And um, he says that that store sells more Italian beef sandwiches than almost any other store. So uh, maybe not surprising to some that Texans would love their beef sandwiches. But he said that that fares well for the future. But, you know, going into airports and going international is obviously a whole different ball game. You've got to give up operational control. Internationally, you would have to tweak the menu in completely different ways, you know, than you would state by state to cater to the local market. And then are there any concerns, though, about overexpansion? Because the the name that uh, pops into my head when I think of, well, this this locally known treasure is going to go nationwide as quickly as possible is Krispy Kreme, which was a southern secret until uh, it kind of overextended itself 20 years ago. 
Yeah, that's always a risk, right? Expanding too quickly is a huge risk for these types of companies. And here in the U.S., experts will tell you that Portillo's is doing it right, right? Because they're going into, um, you know, a market like Texas, a market like Arizona, and then building those markets out. So, so you're, you're capitalizing on the supply chain, the people that you have there, all that good stuff. But again, international, completely different ball game. Another one that didn't fare so well abroad is Chicago-based Potbelly, a sandwich chain that started opening up internationally in 2011. And then by 2019, just closed, announced that it would close all of those locations. So the key is really finding a good operational partner that can tell you what's going to do well on the menu there. And then maybe this is my uh, paternalism speaking, but uh, it probably doesn't hurt for the for, for Portillo's expansion plans or for the image of the Italian beef sandwich uh, nationwide, that it's uh, front and center in this uh, prestigious FX series, The Bear. You're right. And that I've seen uh, stories saying that that show has boosted Italian beef sandwich sales. And then, and then lastly, um, are, are other Chicago businesses, uh, are, will they watch Portillo's expansion and think, well, maybe we could, let's give it a shot? Yeah, they will. You know, one Portillo's is one that, that everybody watches. And, you know, they're really good at getting people through the line fast, which drives sales up. And so I think that's sort of their secret sauce. And the key will be replicating that in these different store formats. Ali Marotti, restaurants and retail reporter, Crane Chicago Business. Thank you for joining us today. Coming up next, there is finally a break in the cost of used cars. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. For the first time this year, prices for used vehicles fell last month. Let's see if that's expected to continue. We're joined by Matt Jones, spokesman for True Car, based in Los Angeles. Matt, thank you for joining us today. The overall price of used vehicles is it fell a little bit, but where is it compared to uh, pre-pandemic? Oh gosh, I guess single word, higher. <laughs> pre-pandemic, <laughs> we were talking <clears throat> pre-pandemic, you had an average transaction price for a used car, scraping $19,000, $20,000, depending upon the part of the country that you were in. Now that used car price average is somewhere hovering around high 29s to low 32s, again, depending upon where you are. So although we are seeing a slight dip in pricing, it's still you know higher than it has been traditionally. And then uh, what about uh, if you uh, want to trade in your vehicle as part of uh, buying a car? Uh, are we seeing the same level of appreciation with, uh, with, with, with used car trade-in values? Yep, absolutely. Um, all cars are in demand. Although things are loosening up, uh, but things are still in demand. There's just not quite as many used cars as the market is used to having. There's certainly not enough used cars to fulfill the, the, the appetite for them all right now. So if you have one and it's in good shape and it's quickly sellable, you can expect to get some good money on it. And how much pressure is there in all sectors of the automobile market right now? Because I would imagine, I mean, the, the, the problems facing the new car market are well-known and well-documented. Uh, semiconductor shortages, supply chain issues, it's, it's just starting to uh, uh, get back into balance. But you also have this uh, sudden and rapid pickup up and travel that uh, probably means you have a lot of uh, of uh, rental car companies that are also uh, in the in, in in the new or used car market creating pressure that didn't exist before yeah you're right um, there are a lot of fleet sales that are happening right now and it's actually it's kind of a touch different because fleet sales haven't really a big part of the equation for the past 24 months or so, but we're starting to see these rental car companies ramp back up. But it's not all bad because as they ramp back up to buy new cars to supplement their fleets, we are seeing them start to offload um, some of their their used cars. It is slightly different because usually when rental cars, companies would get rid of their 
Uh, their fleets, they'd usually have 20 to 40,000 miles on those vehicles. Now we're seeing them with 50 to 70, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. Actually, in this market, it's not too bad because the higher the miles, the lower the sticker price or selling price, and, you know, that gives some shoppers some pricing relief. So, uh, but, yes, that, that, we, we are going to see that on the consumer side. Summer's coming up. You know, not everybody wants to fly, so we can expect to see a little bit more um, competition when it comes for those hot cars. So if you find something you like, grab it as soon as you can. And you, let's say you have a, a child at home who's uh, 16, 17, uh, they're in the market for that uh, that first car to drive to their job. What are some things that you can do to make sure that he or she gets the best deal? Well, at True Car, we're saying that 100000 is the new 60000 You know, when we're looking for those cars for those first-time buyers, you know, traditionally we're looking for, um, you know, we wanted to have something that had some miles, but not too many miles. We'd be scared off as buyers of cars that have 100,000 miles. We don't think that's appropriate anymore. These cars are good. So the first thing to do is just consider what used to be accurate eight or ten years ago may not be accurate now. You can feel free and feel comfortable looking at cars that have 100,000 miles or more. The next thing you do, though, is after you do reviews of all the cars, is if you're looking for something that's used and it's got a couple miles, you know, spend a couple dollars more and go have a mechanic and independently inspect the car so that you know not only are you buying the car, but you know what you're going to have to pay for upkeep and repairs in the near term so that that kid doesn't go bankrupt, you know, on their way to school. <laughs> Matt Jones, spokesman with True Car, based in Los Angeles. Thank you for joining us today. Still ahead in Entrepreneur Friday, a woman who is reshaping the way we talk about motherhood. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Good afternoon. I'm Rob Hart. These are the top stories on News Radio WBBM. An international health agency says COVID-19 is no longer a global public health emergency. The head of the Centers for Disease Control is stepping down, saying the waning of the COVID crisis is a good time for a transition. A casualty of the pandemic, the restaurant buffet is making a comeback. And in Entrepreneur Friday, we meet an author and social media influencer Whose focus on the, whose focus is on the way motherhood is viewed? WBBM Business: The markets are higher. The Dow is up 445 points. The Nasdaq up 239, and the S&P 500 up 65. We have 73 degrees right now in Chicago under partly sunny skies, going up to 77 today. Cooler along the lakefront. It's 12:31. Topping our news at the half hour. The coronavirus crisis has been downgraded. The details from CBS News correspondent. Jim the World Health Organization says that COVID-19 no longer qualifies as a global emergency. The pandemic led to once unthinkable lockdowns and isolation, upended economies worldwide, and killed at least 7 million people. The WHO says the pandemic has not come to an end, despite the emergency phase being over. The agency is noting that the recent spikes of COVID cases in Southeast Asia and the Middle East, thousands of people are still dying from the virus every week. Dr. Rochelle Wenner 
Zelensky, the head of the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, submitted her resignation today, her last day, June 30th. She says the slowing of the pandemic is a good time to make the change. The 54-year-old Zelensky has been the agency's director for just over two years. It's 12.32 as the noon business hour continues. Markets are higher today. We're joined once again by Art Hogan, chief market strategist at B. Riley Financial based in New York. Art, thank you for joining us today. I, I can't speak for the weather in New York City today, but it's an absolutely glorious day in Chicago. Uh, temperature is hitting the upper 70s, not a cloud in the sky, just the, that first spring-like day that puts a spring in your step. And it also explains the markets, at least to me, just everybody's in a good mood. Yeah, there is something to that, Rob. And I think that you know, we it, when you look at the fact that it's a Friday and it's been a very, uh, very much a downtrodden week, and you the market opens with a nice bid in the wake of a couple of things, both a better than expected report from Apple and uh, a rebound, a bounce, uh, some stabilization in the regional banks. I think that puts everybody in a good mood. So I think that you've got a market that has looked at a couple of things. Looking at Apple's report last night and seeing a lot more good news than bad news, especially as it pertains to the their uh, sales of iPhones. The iPhone revenue was 51.33 billion. They had expected 48.8. So clearly surprised everybody there. What's interesting to me about the report is their other products revenue, and that's basically their wearables, which wasn't even a line item two years ago. It was 8.76 billion. They were looking for 8.43, and they announced a 90 billion dollar uh, stock buyback. So I, th- I think that Apple is really helping the market here for sure, and that kind of wraps up the mega cap technology reporters. But I think the other piece of the puzzle here today is something that, you know, has, has been plaguing this market for a couple of weeks, and that's the pressure that regional banks have been under. We had a couple of uh, Wall Street firms come out and put out some upgrades and research today, and, and, and that group is catching a bid in a significant bounce. And I think that that can continue because that is a group that it completely separated from uh, or detached from um, fundamentals and, and really was just a momentum-driven sell-off being driven by short sellers, and, and it doesn't take much to break that sentiment and get some uh, sponsorship back in that group. And I think both of those things are pretty healthy today. What kind of story does Apple's report tell about the economy? Because there, there have been numerous reports about uh, Americans are running up credit card debt again and have exhausted all of their savings from the, uh, the pandemic uh, shutdown era, and yet they still find the time and the money and the budget to uh, buy iPhones and iWatches and uh, other Apple items that begin with i. Yeah, I think Apple has really become a consumer staple, right? So it, it feels as though that may well be the last thing you give up on. If, if your consumer spending is going to start to slow, the last thing you're going to do is get rid of your iPhone and, and, your, and, and your Apple services. And we've got this two million... Um, um, just, just a, a, a massive um, lock on the on the smartphone market, both domestically and growing, both in China and now in India. So I think that their success really rings of you know some, what's the last thing? What's recession resistant? What don't you give up? And it seems to be your you know your access uh, to a cell phone and your and your preference for that smartphone to be from Apple. Their services revenues were twenty. billion in the quarter. So that tells you that they've got a very sticky customer base. And and, and that install base is is likely going through a refresh refresh cycle and seeing new growth opportunities in a couple of very large countries. So I think that what it tells us about the economy is Apple's will become almost, it's gone from an affordable luxury to a uh, consumer staple in, in a real sense. And I don't think that's a new story. 
Art Hogan, Chief Market Strategist with B. Riley Financial, based in New York. Thank you for joining us today. Coming up next in Entrepreneur Friday, a look at motherhood from a non-traditional angle. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. It's Entrepreneur Friday, and this afternoon we're putting a spotlight on motherhood, but probably not in the way it's usually discussed. We welcome in Becky Vieira, motherhood expert, Instagram influencer, finder on the gram at Witty Otter, and author of the book, Enough About the Baby, a Brutally Honest Guide to Surviving the First Year of Motherhood, based in San Francisco. Becky, thank you for joining us today. And what was your first year of motherhood? My Well, first of all, thank you for having me. Uh, my first year of motherhood was a bit traumatic. Nothing I expected. Everything was harder, more exhausting, more painful than I expected. And and how old is how old are how many kids do you have and how old are they now? I have one son and he's six now. Okay, so we're we're both pretty we 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 both experienced this at the same time because my oldest is uh, nine, uh, going on ten. We also have a, a seven year old and a four year old at home. So oh, wow. this this is all this is all very recent stuff we're talking about. And uh, you talk everyone talks about how. Yes, it is a big change. The The change from zero to one, I like to say, is the biggest change of all. <laughs> when you go from yeah. one to two or two to three, it's manageable. But zero to one, it's an earthquake. And you, can't, you can talk about it, but you don't really know how big of a change it is until you're there. And what was it like for you? Exactly like you said, an earthquake. I thought we had prepared. My husband and I read the books. We took the classes. We did everything we thought we were supposed to do, but reading a book, learning how to breastfeed, it's like, you know, reading a book about swimming and trying to do the strokes in your living room floor. It doesn't doesn't translate until you jump in the water. And I think it's like that with motherhood. Nothing you do to prepare you is the same as actually doing it and having that baby in, in your arms. And it's so much harder, so much better, but so much harder than anyone ever explains to you. And I think it's it's a, it's a very important thing that you're doing. And I don't know at what point um, in, in in that first year of motherhood when you began documenting this on, on Instagram and when you discovered that your account had a following. But uh, we always talk about how uh, social media is very toxic if you're a teenager in raising expectations and telling you about things you're not doing. But that only just changes and gets more insidious the older you get. And that uh, some parenting social media accounts uh, make you feel just as bad as you did when you were 13 or 14. So when, when did you discover that maybe this this non-judgmental I I'm 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 having a hard time. You know, this is this is my my experience. When did you discover that other people just found a kindred spirit? It was about the time I decided to finally be honest. I certainly wasn't posting filtered photos and saying this is the greatest moment of my life, but I wasn't really being my authentic, true self as far as how hard it was. And and one day I I just couldn't take it anymore. I had postpartum depression. I was exhausted. And I shared that on Instagram, and the response was overwhelming. It was very clear that that's what other moms were looking for, and I just continued from there. What is the importance of of providing that connection, that 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 sense of you're not alone in this, whatever it is? I think because 
for me, I felt like I was doing something wrong. I had heard, like I said, people, oh, it's hard. But I thought I was the only one who was having problems with my husband because we were so exhausted. Or I was the only one whose child wouldn't sleep after I tried everything. And those ideas started to spiral in my head. And I started to think, well, maybe I'm not meant to be a mom. And I think once you put that out there and it becomes that me too mentality and you know you're not alone, it somehow makes it easier for you to get through it because you know it's not just you. And then when did you make the pivot from the social media account to actually writing a book? That was, uh, I say, I think it was about four years into it. I looked at everything I had shared and thought, this is great, but it's in pieces. It would be really wonderful to hand this to a new mom in a more cohesive manner. And that's when I decided to write the book. The, I'm going to leave with uh, an observation that you made on your account that uh, really kind of spoke to me, too. And that is that first year when uh, you're kind of uh, at the mercy of your baby's sleeping schedule and you wonder, like, they're, they're never going to sleep. I'm, I'm never yeah. going to sleep again. <laughs> I, I My entire life is going to be waking up at three o'clock in the morning and then they go to sleep and then they get older. And then you see pictures of your oldest as a baby. And then you say to yourself, man, I miss those days. And sometimes that nostalgia can be a, there's a twinge of melancholy in there too. Absolutely. Yes. I I sometimes think I was so busy wishing for time to jump ahead when he would sleep that maybe I didn't appreciate it. And those photo flashbacks sometimes get you, get you right in the heart. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, Becky Vieira, you find her on Instagram at Witty Otter. It's great stuff, especially uh, if you're a parent and you remember just the trials and tribulations of that time uh, when they're just brand new. Becky, thank you so much for joining us today. Still to come, great news for fans of the restaurant buffet. It's investing 60 minutes each weekday for planning for the future. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. The pandemic put the all-you-can-eat restaurant buffet on the shelf, but people who enjoy that experience now have a reason to celebrate. Let's get an update from R.J. Hadevi, the head of the analytical research at, at foot traffic analysis firm Placer AI based in Chicago. R.J., thank you for joining us today. And buffet restaurants had a real hard time uh, during the pandemic shutdown era, and quite a few didn't survive. You're right, and they're not unlike a lot of restaurant categories where uh, particularly full-service full service sit-down restaurants really struggle coming out of the pandemic, particularly smaller independent chains. Uh, and I'd say buffet chains were one of the hardest hit. But more recently, as we've kind of moved past the pandemic and seen consumers migrate to maybe smaller and tertiary markets across the U.S., as well as uh, really, I think more than anything else, this focus on value that we've seen really in the past year or so has almost led to a renaissance of sorts for the buffet category. And according uh, to your information, uh, the foot traffic at buffet restaurants is up in a big way. Yeah, it is. If you look uh, across the board, the category itself is one of the top performing categories in the, the restaurant industry. And we really started to see the outperformance widen about this time a year ago. Uh, if you remember, that was a time we started to see gas prices hike up. A lot of consumers had been dealing with higher food costs or several months before that. 
rent and healthcare costs weren't going away. And I think that was really the psychological trigger for a lot of consumers. And so we started to see people move towards buffet uh, concepts, and they've been one of the top performing categories along with things like entertainment, which is like a top golf or a Dave and Buster's that concept. Uh, really strong results for, for that category. And, uh, you know, no sign of letting up, too. I think it's been very interesting to see that this seems like it has staying power with consumers focused on value right now. And then one of the through lines in uh, our discussions, RJ, is uh, the use of artificial intelligence to make restaurants uh, that much more efficient. Uh, it would seem like at first blush that a buffet uh, could be a darling when it comes to restaurant efficiency. Yeah, I think you're right. Absolutely. I think there are a lot of opportunities for technology advances in this category. I think for a business like this, where um, certainly inventory management is critical, making sure that you've got the right amount of product to, to satisfy the people coming through the door. I think that's a huge opportunity. Um, I think there's a lot of things on the labor front here that could be a very interesting opportunity for technology. Um, so I think a lot of it just on the, on the pure management and operations side, I think there is a tremendous amount of opportunity for this category and even using visitation data. I mean, I think understanding where people are coming from, um, you know, a platform like Glacier can certainly help out on that. So um, a lot of different ways that technology is going to change industry and this is i think would be one category we're going to see some definite improvements and then could we also see a similar renaissance when it comes to uh buffets in the tourism space i mean places that you know hotels and uh resorts that offered buffets uh, pre-covid and then shut it down may bring it back yeah i think we might and i, I think just seeing the trends the visitation trends we're seeing the encouraging visitation trends uh, certainly, you know, leads to promise for this category. And it could be something what we see in more destination uh, locales. I think we could possibly see more and more uh, development on that front. So I think it's certainly a possibility and something to watch out for. RJ Hadavi, head of analytical research at the foot traffic analysis firm Placer AI in Chicago. Thank you for joining us today. If you missed any part of today's show, you can go to our stream and just skip back to the time you want. There's a pause and rewind function that works both online and with the Odyssey app. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.